2: So perhaps the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding their balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we can get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. Hey listeners, it's now time to adapt in our fast-moving world. And thanks for joining me on today's session of the Highlights of 2021. I've got three wonderful guests for you to share with you today. And this is where I was sharing some snippets from their actual interview that I've done in their episodes. From episode 231, Chandra Dure, be the best leader you can be. Episode 237, Andrew Cottle, leaders choosing a life of fulfillment. And episode 239, Chris Rollins, today's excellence is tomorrow's average. All right, listeners, sit back, relax, and enjoy the highlights. I was born in, in
0: Malaysia, in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia, and I I, um, I lived in Malaysia till I was about 15. And then I, through my support of my parents, I left to go to the UK to start my studies uh, in, in the UK, A-levels, etc., which I did. I started doing that. But I ended up from being in the UK because the costs in the UK for study was really, really high. And my brother and my sister were had studied in the UK as well. And I felt that there was a huge burden on my on my poor folks because um, they were you know they were bankrolling that, that the whole operation. Uh, and anyway, I managed to get a uh, an opportunity to to finish my my pre-university in Australia. So and also closer to to Malaysia. And I went to Australia to to do my tertiary admissions exam and I finished that. And then ended up going to university in Perth in Western Australia and did my postgraduate and you know some other sort of study in in uh, in australia and yeah started to work in australia and one of my friends was transferred to new zealand uh through work and he said to me he says mate you should come over They've got something called snow in this place, you know. <laughs> so um, I thought about it. I thought yeah, I'll come over to New Zealand for a, for a little holiday, and I came across to Wellington for about a week. But I noticed in the newspaper when I bought the paper when I landed that there were a lot of jobs for medical laboratory scientists, and I'm a I'm a trained medical laboratory scientist. And um, so I called and 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 applied. You know, handwritten a few notes to a to a few uh, a few labs. Uh, I got six labs come back to me and say. Come in for an interview. I went for five. I got five offers, and I thought, "Gee, this New Zealand—it's uh, uh, you know—it's a pretty cool place. They all like me here." So um, I decided to put a hold on my 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 master's studies in in Australia, and uh, and said, "I'll come back." Came to New Zealand, and that was back in 1988. And New Zealand has been home ever since then. So, uh, and I left home, you know, as I said, very, very young, but from a very close family. So that was quite, uh, I think difficult for my, for my parents to see, you know, their young 15 year old son disappear knowing, actually knowing that I probably would not return because, uh, that was, I guess, the sort of person I, I was becoming that I would have wanderlust for travel and, and, and whatnot. So, um, so yeah, so New Zealand is very, very happily my, has been my home for over 35 years. So, um,
2: wow. And did you spend a lot of time in
0: Wellington as well, or did you move to Auckland? I spent two years in, in Wellington, so they're my, my formative years in, in New Zealand. Coming from Perth, Western Australia, to Wellington I was a bit of a shock to the system. I can I can tell you, but I loved being in Wellington. It was great. I made lot, lots lots of, of really good friends, who are still friends to to this day. And I have spent yeah the last thirty three years um, in in Auckland. You know, I've, I got married, um, and uh, my wife uh, uh, is, uh, is is an Aucklander, and i have two kids. Uh, well, they're not kids anymore; they're they're adults. My son has got a similar wanderlust as me, and is in in uh, in London, and and my daughter. She she lives here in Auckland, so
2: um, so yeah, there you go. <laughs> Fascinating. that's very good. Yeah, I I'm actually from Wellington, so we probably would have been quite. We probably actually bumped bumped into each other probably in the streets maybe, but um, oh, possibly yeah. very possibly. New Zealand's a small place. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Very small place. Now look, you've been in the. Healthcare industry for 30 years or well, over 30 years. And you were appointed as a CEO to Pharmaco in 2013. So how did you actually get into leadership?
0: I think Dennis, I, I always felt that taking initiative was, was a really good thing to do. And it's something which I guess my parents also sort of, you know, um, inculcated into me and, and also ensured you always do the right thing and where you could just do and be better and be the best that you could be. And, and I think, you know, other thing was showing respect, empathy for people and being able to actually draw people to you and to, to sort of, in, to, to, to develop a feeling of trust. It, it was, was, was very important. So it's sort of a more of a, of a self discovery thing. And, but, but all of this helped me in a, in a range of roles. And, and then when I joined Pharmaco about 28 years ago, the, the leadership back at Pharmaco then. Uh, perhaps recognized that there was something there that you know I I wanted to do and 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 I ended up you know being in a position where there were people who would would come to me and then it became people who started to report to me and and then it just it just developed uh, from there and you know, you did a few courses in in sort of um management and and uh, and whatnot and I I remember early on many years ago I was uh, with a multinational company and I was. Sent to uh, to Singapore for a for a management uh, course, and I met a number of people there, and 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 learned a lot from other people. I think that's also I think part of leadership is it's not all about it's never about you. I think it's it's about it's about people, and it's how you learn and interact and develop your set you know your own sense of identity from other people. So I, I I met these folks from all around the world, and 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 I recognized you know that there were ways and means that you could get the best from other people. Just by being yourself and being open and honest and, and, uh, you know, and truthful and people actually trusted you and they, they confided in you and you were the more richer for it as well. So uh, listen, I, I don't think it was a, I don't think there was a, a clear steps uh, that, that I took. I always felt that I wanted to be in a position where I was able to make a difference and to be able to change things for the better. I mean, it sounds quite dramatic, but you know, I, I don't think it is. I think it is just a case of just being the best that I could be. So that's kind of how I stumbled into into leadership, I think. And and I remember many years ago, I, I was in a meeting and I was meeting with the, the chairman of a company and I was asked to sit outside you know, the boardroom having a cup of tea. And outside the boardroom, there was this little plaque, it was this tiny little thing, but it's really colorful, really drew me to it. And the words still, I mean, I use this every chance I get, to be honest, every person I meet. Uh, all of my my staff uh, know this, you know, back to front, uh, or my colleagues, rather. And it said this. It said, good, better, best. Never let it rest until your good is better and your better is best. And I thought, oh, my goodness. You know, that was just fantastic. And what was incredible, what it was written by a saint, St. Jerome, from the 14th century. Wow. So, out I would have employed him the first chance I got. But that was, for me, that's also... I think an element of, of, of what good leadership is. Just, just be the best you can be. You know, you don't have to be better than anyone else. Just be the best you can be. You know, Um, and, and hopefully that's, that's going to be enough. Happy to be here,
1: man. Excited to be here. Two different worlds colliding from New Zealand and America.
2: Yeah, fantastic. Hey, I've just given our listeners a little bit of background about you. Is there anything else you'd like to share about your, your background?
1: Not much. You know, I, I'm happy to be here and I'm an entrepreneur at heart and grew up as an entrepreneur and 20 years later, still starting companies. And I think last night I had a major idea on a new NFT project that I took to my team yesterday. And of course they mainly get upset at me because it's another ideas company we had to go start, but. And I'm an entrepreneur at heart, so I love every minute of it.
2: And so, those ideas—do they come through often from you? They,
1: unfortunately, or fortunately, however you look at it? A lot of times they do. I have learned throughout the years how to decipher and kind of filter those. A lot of times you can get shiny object syndrome and chase different things too often. And where I'm at now, obviously, it changes as you get bigger and bigger into companies, business. But you know, you think about it right now—is in going into leadership even a little bit here—is. Learning as a leader of the team, which decisions to make that have massive potential and which ones, yes, you can make something off of, yes, you could do something, but is it what is that going to cost your staff, your team, your employees? What's the rippled effect of that as a leader just to go do this other thing? So there's a definitely a process and a filter I have to go through now as I've grown.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. And and I find that there's a lot of people out there, entrepreneurs, leaders, and that they, they procrastinate and they don't get on with something. Or they the other end whereby, as you said, the shiny thing, they're on to the next thing and they don't finish something or they don't have the team behind them to, to sort of clean up and actually bring it and bring it to life. Yeah. What's one or two thoughts or one or two things you might suggest to people who are procrastinating in something or that they have too many shiny things? What should they do? Yeah, obviously, those are two
1: different ends of the spectrum, right? And it's really, I would tell people, I think it's just part of your DNA. Mm. I don't think it's necessarily something that's negative or bad. It's just kind of who you are. And there's all kinds of tests and stuff that you can take to try to clarify stuff for you. But for me, I'm a person that needs very little what's called information to actually make a decision. I can look at the idea, the vision and the concept, and I'm willing to make a a decision on that, which, Mm. which... is great because I can move fast and I'm willing to move quick on a, on a topic negative is if you're not careful, you'll get into shiny object syndrome and you'll start chasing things uh, because it's a Oh, there's new, especially when you're young and you're just starting into it Mm. because everyone a a great idea. So the the advantage advantage is you're quick, but you're also double edged short. You can make a, a lot of bad decisions jumping in too many things at one time to that person. I would say, Find out of all the little ideas that are coming through, put the filters in place. And one of the filters that I always, always start with right now in business is, do I actually love this thing? Do I enjoy this concept? If I went and built this, it's not about money. Would I actually enjoy doing this? I think a lot of entrepreneurs get caught And even leaders get caught in doing something they don't like because they started to go down a path. And even though they may find financial success, they're still not happy with what they're doing. On the flip side of it would be analysis paralysis side, which is where you have to have all the details and all the information to make a decision. And there's, again, double-edged sword there. But those people struggle a lot of obviously just getting anything off the ground because there's no way as a leader you're going to always have all the information. It doesn't exist. You're having to use your gut and sometimes make educated guesstimates with as much data as you can get, but there's always going to be that X factor. And for people that are too engineered, wired, they have to have every X and O attached. They struggle a lot in making decisions in entrepreneurship as well as leadership, of course.
2: There you go, listeners. You've heard it. What a start to the episode. I mean, crikey. At the end of it, what I'm hearing from both sides of that kind of scenario there, Andrew, is make a decision. Whether you procrastinate, make a decision. It's never going to be perfect. And then on the other side, if it's a shiny thing, make a decision, but you know have those filters as well. So pretty cool. Very good. Hey, look, I, um, I asked this question here and some people sort of think about, oh, what do you, what do you, 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 you this uh, thing? And, and it is, how did you get into leadership?
1: More of a natural process. you know. I, I think all, in my opinion, I think leaders, a couple of things here, and I'll go a little bit philosophical here with you. I think leaders are born I think there's something that's inside of them that it's a natural instinct for them. However, great leaders, I don't believe, ever look for the leadership roles. They just do what they do. And part of a great leader is knowing how to make decisions, what we just talked about. And because people in a broad stroke struggle with making decisions, it naturally leaders who can make decisions have learned how to filter or program themselves to be able to make decisions kind of naturally rise to the top inside of corporations and so forth because they're willing to make decisions so i think great leaders i think a lot of leaders are born now i'm not saying that you can't even become a leader but there is a difference between a naturally talented leader and then a leader that has read studied listened and became a leader and then of course the best leaders are the ones that are naturally born and then they spend time reading listening study and, and sharpening that sword if you will to a gift that they have to become a leader so for me leadership was as an entrepreneur as my companies grew it put me in a you know natural role where i had to be willing to make decisions and became through that became a leader basically
3: dennis i was the terms we use i was a military brat when I was young, so I grew up in a military family, I ended up in the military. I was an M1 tank commander in the army and, you know, really left when I left the military and started in my corporate career, which obviously led to a lot of what I'm doing today. Yeah. I ended up in the rental industry for about 16 years overseeing sales and operations. So dealt with a lot of that in large organizations in the rental industry. The company Melissa and I run today, Rollins Performance Group is now in our 10th year of business somehow. I don't know how that happened, but so we've been doing this for going on 10 years where we work with people just to develop their communication skills and sales and leadership.
2: Yeah, great. And I, and I, and I know Melissa as well, wonderful couple of listeners who always give so much to people, which is brilliant to know and experience as well. So. Uh, Chris, this is all about leadership is changing and so forth. So how did you get into leadership?
3: <laughs> I love this question, Dennis. And it's funny, just well, how did you get into leadership? Here's why I love this question. I think as simple as it is, it's so often misunderstood. I would have answered this question so differently uh-huh. 30 years ago, right? Because here you were, you were in the military, became a tank commander, you know, you're running and gunning, getting results, getting things done, leading, But as you and I both know, at that time, a lot of it was really positional leadership. What I thought was leadership. Mm. Probably when I look back at it, though, now, I can't say, oh, I got into leadership as a young soldier in the army and leading groups of people. I really didn't get into leadership until probably 15 years, maybe 15, 16 years ago, when someone handed me a copy of the book, Good to Great which literally was the book that changed my thinking. And I thought, oh, wow, I've been doing this wrong. I've been achieving great results, but that's not leadership until I can help my teams begin to achieve great results. So what I thought was 30 years ago when I got into leadership really was a journey for me that began probably 15, 16 years ago.
2: Yeah, and I think that's the key word that you just used there, what? Right, which is it's a journey, and for listeners, it's not about you taking a red pill or blue pill and da da, <laughs> you're the leader anymore. Chris and I know that it does. It is a journey, right? And you are going to learn things, and you're going to evolve over time, and bring different things as well, and different scenarios, different situations. But you're right; it's about an awareness of actually understanding what you bring to the table, and then how do you take that and move forward? So, really interesting to see. Mm. And I love the book, Good to Great. It's a great book, right? Absolutely. A classic, no doubt. A classic. And listeners, if you haven't read it already, we would highly recommend that you go and read Jim Collins' book, Good to Great. It's a a wonderful book. And notice what Chris said. It helped him change his thinking. And uh, be aware, listeners, as you go to read that book, it will change your thinking, but it's a wonderful one to to check out for sure. Now, Chris, you may have several here. I'm going to ask you to think about what's your one leader. Now, this person could be alive or from history. Who's your favorite leader and why? (laughs)
3: I know, you know, Dennis, we could probably rattle off some greats that we really think about. But funny enough, when I really think in my personal life of those that impacted me the most, and I know you say, who's your favorite? I would do a disservice if I didn't say the two people that really impacted me personally and professionally the most. The first really was my first sergeant when I was in the military, because in fact, I, I found him just a few years ago, right back before the day and age of social media, when I was in, in the 80s and the 90s. And, you know, we connected and hadn't spoken in years. And I told him, I said, I owe you so many things today that when I was a young guy and you'd ride my case, I probably was mad at you half the time for, and I did not know what you were helping me do. But he refused to allow me to perform at less then my potential was even if it was better than other people's around me, right? He said, you're better than this, and I'm going to push you. I didn't appreciate it then. I'm so appreciative of it now. In my corporate career, when I transitioned, probably the greatest mentor I had was a VP of mine, and we still talk occasionally today who really helped me shift, begin that shift in that mindset, as I talked about, from understanding, hey, Chris, this is not about you. In fact, one day he actually said to me, Dennis, hey, Chris, this is not the army. Your employees do not have to come back to work tomorrow morning. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, what? I was mad when he said it. And then I said, oh my goodness, what a light bulb moment when I had to learn that, Mm. yeah, they don't have to do this. They choose to follow us. And only when they choose to follow us can we truly be leaders. Without their influence, there's no way I would be where I am
2: today. Yeah. And that choice is really amazing. Um, But you've mentioned a few times that word about mindset. And in in my introduction of you to our listeners, we talk about the inbox ideas and concepts to achieving the -the out-of-the-box results. And I think a lot of the inbox is around the mindset. Would that be right?
3: Oh, totally. It's the
2: foundation when i often talk to
3: people about their map to achieving sustainable results the m in my map is the mindset if the mindset is not right you've lost before you've taken the first step of the journey
2: yeah awesome now let's talk about mindset and it's something about you personally because i i really admire what chris has just done recently listeners he has gone and lost weight and <laughs> he has gone and actually becoming this what i call a corporate athlete whereby he's he's done things but a lot of that probably would have been around the my center as well chris Do you you mind sharing? I mean, I've just already said to the listeners what's happened here, but I mean, (laughs) I I think it's just a really, really important thing for us because I think a lot of leaders need to be in a position whereby they are fit, they're in a really good shape. Because I don't know many high-performing leaders who aren't, right?
3: You know, Dennis, I was fit all my life. Again, you know, from the military time, always been an exercise guy, everything else, but you know, unfortunately, just over a period of time, as you know, Dennis, we don't wake up, flip the switch and decide to do this. It creeps up on us, right? Yes. And, and I was so busy running our business, taking care of my parents who we were taking care of for a while. I mean, they're gone now, but we were doing all that. And, you know, funny enough, uh, Melissa had shared some pictures with me one day. She said, oh, I took these pictures while you were up doing, I was doing a training. She's like, yeah, I thought you'd see these pictures I snapped of you while you were up there today. And I went, no, 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 <laughs> we're not putting that guy up on the website, right? And I said, what the heck happened, right? I mean, it happened so slowly you didn't even realize it happened. So yes, I made a decision that said, how am I going to encourage And challenge people to be high performers. When I look at myself and say, am am I being authentic and true to what I'm challenging them to do? And that was 70 pounds ago, right? This year, I've dropped 70 pounds and I'm back to my ideal weight, back to what I was you know, years ago. I'm back doing my insanity workouts and all those crazy things. But I feel better. I have more energy. And truly, I believe it helps me show up and serve my clients at a higher level as well. And I'm about to be a grandfather. Let me say this, Dennis. I'm about, Melissa and I are about to be grandparents. I know we can actually officially announce that now here soon. So our son and his wife are pregnant with our first grandbaby, and it's going to allow us to be present as they grow up as well. So,
2: Oh, Oh, man, that is so special. Fantastic. Congratulations. That's wonderful to to hear that you and Melissa are going to be grandparents, and that is very special. And huge congratulations on that. So for our listeners, 70 pounds in the U.S., but uh, for KG's, it's about 31 kilograms as well. So that is massive. Now you think about it, team, Is is, when we used to travel around the world, when we used to do that, you think about a suitcase would average between (laughs) 20 to 23 kilos would be a suitcase. If you take one and a half suitcases, that is what Chris has released. And it's is amazing. So you're so right. It, it, it does come down to that. And, and it's huge, right? So yeah,
3: I love that you just said it, how much I've released, right? I, I do tell Melissa, I refuse to lose it. We are not wired to lose as human beings. Mm. In fact, I often say God did not create us to lose. He created us to grow and expand. Therefore, we will always subconsciously seek to find something we've lost. I said, let that go, find health, find vitality, find energy, find the ability to be, like I said, fully present at the highest level so that you can now serve people better than you ever could at the point before. And that's funny when you said that word without that, that's part of the mindset piece. I know people say, eh, it's just a play on words. I don't think it is. I think it's a mindset that's critical.
2: Oh, listen, some really cool things there. Chandra, Andrew, and Chris have shared, based on the interviews that I did with them in 2021, the mindset, that's a huge thing. Imagine releasing the weight that Chris talked about. Is there something that you want to release? Is there something that you're hanging on to in your life? Is there something that you might need help on? Well, if you do, hey, reach out to me. I'm more than happy to sit down with you and have a chat and talk about how we can help you achieve what you're wanting to achieve. If you have already checked out these episodes, 231, 237, and 239, go ahead and check out the episodes. You've just heard a snippet of them, and I'm sure you're going to love the full interview. Hey, listeners, what we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Change is incredibly scary, especially with the unknown and unfamiliar territory. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. Look out for the episodes as they're being released, download them, have a listen, put a review and a rating feel free to share them with your friends, your family, and your network. Hey, if there's any feedback you'd like to give me about the show, or if there's a question you have for the Ask Dennis Freestyle episode, then send me an email, dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. Hey listeners, it's always a pleasure being with you. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, bye for now.